I want, I want you to chew on two questions for a few moments as we're getting ready for this talk. And the first question is, do you know who you are? And I'm not being existential, I'm serious. Do you know who you are? I've loved through the years the science of humor. I'm not a funny person, but I've always enjoyed studying what makes something funny. And there are a number of jokes that have as a punchline, or at least a setup to the punchline, some pompous person saying, do you know who I am? My personal favorite of those stories is a guy, an incumbent governor who was running for re-election. He'd had a busy day, all kinds of campaign stops, and that evening there was a barbecue and a big campaign event, and so as he was coming through the line himself, he was exhausted and hungry, and he got his barbecue, and he came up to the woman who was serving potatoes, and she put one scoop of potatoes on his plate, and he said, hey, uh, I want two scoops of potatoes, and she said, I'm sorry, I've been instructed that there's only one scoop of potatoes. He said, well, I'm really hungry, I've been campaigning all day, I'd really like to have two scoops of potatoes. She said, I'm sorry, one scoop of potatoes, that's all you're getting. And finally, he got angry, and he said, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. She said, do you know who I am? I'm the woman in charge of potatoes. So, uh, <laughs> I love those kind of stories, you know. But I'm not, I'm not playing with you today. I'm asking you a serious question. Do you know who you are? Do you really know who you are? Because if you don't know who you are, you won't live out your destiny. One of the problems that I have as a leader, and not only as a leader of people, but I sometimes see this in my own life, those of us who are Christ followers, oftentimes we bump along the bottom of life feeling like we just don't have what it takes to live out our destiny, when in reality, God never made us to live that way. Let me show you what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 5. In fact, we all started our worship service today with what's called the Revelation song. And the Revelation song actually comes from this text in Revelation chapter 5. So this is what the Bible says. Listen, they, that's the people in heaven, sang a new song you, that's Jesus, you are worthy because you were killed, and with your own blood you bought for God people from every tribe, language, nation, and race. Look at this. You let them become kings and serve God as priests. They will rule on the earth. Now, in one of the most tragic histories, uh, stories in the history of the world, especially the history of America, there was a time where men and women were bought and sold as slaves. But don't you find it interesting that the Bible tells us that God has bought us out of the slave market for sin, not to be slaves, but to be kings and queens. So, in fact, Revelation tells us that twice, that you were brought out of every race, out of every tribe, out of every situation in order to be kings and queens. That's your destiny. And the point of that is really important for us to grasp today. God wants you to live boldly. Not a life in which you're like, you know, the old Dickens character, please, sir, may I have some more? I mean, that's not how God wants you to live. God wants you to be bold in your life. Now, real quickly, boldness is not arrogance. I've met people through the years, you know, a guy who would say, well, hey, I'm a big man. I, people do what I tell them to do. That's not boldness. That's being a loser. That's just arrogance. Or I've had ladies tell me I'm a strong woman. I, people do what I want them to do. That's not boldness, and that's not strength. That's just arrogance. Let me show you one of the greatest statements about boldness in, in, in regard to your relationship with God. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, the Bible is talking about how we come into the presence of God and we ask for things. Listen to this. This high priest, that's Jesus, understands our weaknesses. 
So, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, that's a really interesting scripture, and I hope we unpack it today and own it personally. We are told in the middle of that verse to come boldly to God. The rest of that verse talks about our weaknesses. It says we are weak. It says that we need mercy. That's because we're sinners. And it says we need grace. That's because we don't have what we need. So how is it that people who are sinners and weak and have needs can come boldly into the presence of God? Well, it all comes down to who you are. See, that's the thing. At the moment, ma'am, that you put your life in the hands of Jesus, God destined you to become a queen. Sir, at the moment that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God destined you to become a king. That is who you are. And because of that relationship, you're to have boldness. You're to live boldly. I'm sure, you know, at my age, I've told you so many stories over the last 33 years. A lot of you probably heard me tell about this many times. But I'll never forget an experience that I had probably about 20 years ago when I was speaking in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, I was doing a conference there, and a lot of high brass, because it, it was in the shadow of the Pentagon, a lot of high brass there, military brass in that church, and a young general asked me, would I like to play a round of golf with him at the Andrews Air Force Base Golf Course? And when I got there, I quickly realized I was out of my element. I still never will forget the yellow stops in the parking lot. There, they, they had stars on them, you know, and there was like, they were ranked down, you know. It went, went down from, you know, well, actually, it started with Secretary of Defense, if I remember right, and then there were the stars for the generals, and then after that, there were the colonels. And, so, and I, I thought, man, I'd never been in the military in my life. I, do I really belong out here? And I never will forget, there was a long line at first tea box, and I thought, we'll be out here forever. But then one of the marshals came and found the general that I was with, and he brought us right up to the front of the line, and boy, we teed off in front of all those Fulberg colonels and lieutenants and captains and went around the golf course. Now, here's the thing. I never was in the military in my life. I surely didn't have any kind of rank, but all the time around that golf course, I was treated like I was a general because I was with a general. Let me ask you a question. What if I'd said to that general I was with, hey, you know what, I feel really awkward about being out here because I've never been in the military and I've never had any stripes or stars or anything or any kind of regalia on my outfit, so maybe, maybe I should just let you play and I'll just drive the cart. You know what, he would have been embarrassed because he intended for me to play boldly on that course like I belong there. So please, can we just reach that point at this subtotal point of the message tonight and this morning and ask the question, do we know who we are? God wants us to live boldly, not because we're arrogant, not because we're full of ourselves, not, not because we've done something to belong, but because of who God is and who you and I are in Jesus Christ. We were made to be kings. We were made to live boldly. Therefore, we should lead in life. We should set big goals. We should dream big dreams. We should pray big prayers. We should attempt great things. We should slay great giants because... Well, that's who we are. Not who we deserve to be based on our own merit, but because of who Jesus has made us to be. Do you know who you are? The reason I ask that question is, the second question I want you to sort of mull over is what happens when a king doesn't act like a king? What happens when a queen doesn't live like a queen? Well, that's where today's talk comes in. We're looking at the kings and queens of the Bible, at least some of them. And today's title is called The Fish, or as I said a few moments ago, if you want to choose the donkey, that's fine too. But really, what we're talking about here is a weak player, a person that doesn't know how to play, a naive, silly, gullible person. 
he or she's not going home with his money. They're going to be taken advantage. Everybody else is glad to see him at the table, but we're talking about somebody who loses all the time. The king's name is Ahaz. And as we talked about it at the beginning of the talk, um, Ahaz is king of Judah in a difficult time. There are others, other players at the table. There's the king of Assyria. And um, I don't want to get off into a history lesson, but just consider Assyria as the big dog here. Assyria is about to rule the world. And everybody, all the kings on the stage can notice and tell that Assyria is growing, getting more powerful all the time, and it looks like they're going to be the dominant power, and they're probably going to get rolled over by Assyria. But there's some little dogs at the table. Uh, There's Egypt, there's uh, Israel, that would be the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes. Jonathan talked about that last week. And then there's also uh, Syria. Now, the big dog is positioning against the little dogs, and the little dogs are wondering, if we band together, can we beat the big dog? Ahaz becomes king of Judah. That's, he's ruling from Jerusalem. He's God's king. He's in the lineage of King David. Ultimately, he will be in the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus. So he is God's representative on the earth at that moment, politically speaking. Ahaz is trying to figure out who he's going to go with. Is he going to go with the big dog of Syria? It looks like they're going to be the reigning willpower. Or does he line up with the little dogs and hope that that coalition can overcome the big dog? Well, deep down inside, he's already made up his mind. That's important for our story today. Ahaz, 20 years old, young king. Ahaz has decided, I'm going with the big dog. Uh, The king of Assyria looks like he's going to rule, and I think I'm going to go with him. It means I'm going to have to like become his slave, and our people are going to become his slaves, and we're going to have to give him all kinds of money so he won't kill us. But maybe we'll be able to survive. We'll just bump along the bottom. We, We won't live out our destiny, but maybe we'll be able to survive. I think I'm going to go with the big dog. Now, got that picture in mind. Here's the little dogs, Egypt, Syria, northern kingdom. They're like, maybe we can band together and beat the big dog. There's the big dog of Syria. He's going to rule the world. And Ahaz, God's king, is like, I'm going to go with the big dog. Now, in that environment, to this young 20-year-old king, God sends his messenger, Isaiah the prophet. In fact, one of the biggest books in your Old Testament is the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters. Some people have called Isaiah the fifth gospel. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. So Isaiah, a young prophet himself, he comes to King Ahaz at a time when it's really bad because these little dogs have decided that if Ahaz is not going to go with them, they're going to jump him. So now Ahaz is like, I don't know if the big dog's going to accept me and the little dogs are going to jump me now. And it was in that climate that Isaiah comes. Look at this. This is verse 2 of Isaiah 7. The news had come that they were about to be attacked. So the hearts of the king and his people tremble with fear like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to be afraid. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him saying, we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. But this is what the sovereign Lord says, this invasion will never happen. It will never take place. So here's this young king. He's not acting like a king. He's scared. He's about to yield over everything to this big dog. And God is like, there's no reason to do that. You don't need to worry about the little D-O-G-S or the big D-O-G. I am the great G-O-D. So don't worry about the dogs at all. Just go with me. And then here's a powerful verse. And this is what this whole message is going to be about. Just this one line from verse 9. God says, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. 
Now, here's the point that God is getting across or trying to get across to Ahaz. Ahaz is looking at his culture. His culture is a war between a big king and little kings. And God is like, Ahaz, you need to get your mind off the culture and you need to trust me. But you must choose. You can't bounce back and forth between the culture and me. You can't back, bounce back and forth between what the world around you is saying and what I am saying. God is saying, Ahaz, you're going to have to choose. And when I think about American Christianity in 2018, one of the things that I worry about is I see Christians who are informed as far as their viewpoints, mostly from the world. They sort of listen to God and what God has to say, but then they watch you know, late night television and listen to the culture. They read stuff. They get on social media, and it's like they're their, their viewpoints for life is some kind of weird meatloaf that includes a little bit of what God says and a lot of what the world says. And God is like, look, if you don't pick, I can't help you. You either have to decide whether you're going to go with what this culture says or you're going to have to decide whether you go with what God says. And so God says to Ahaz, if you don't pick, if your faith isn't firm, I can't make you stand. Now, could I just pull over to the side of the road because some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're watching how views of sexuality are changing, how views of marriage are changing in our culture. You're, you're watching how views of lifestyle and all kinds of things are being promulgated in our culture. And you know, you know enough to know that God says that what the culture says is right is wrong and what the culture often says is wrong is right. Now, the, here's what I want to do for just a moment. We're going to go back to talking about Ahaz in just a moment. Take a time out. How do you, as a God follower, live in a time of weak leadership, which I think we've been in for a long time in America, and in the world for that matter? Hey, listen, I'm a study, I've studied geopolitics and I've studied politics all my life. I've never seen a time when the leadership in our world, globally, was as weak as it is today. How do you function in that kind of world? I'm going to show you a beautiful scripture because... This is not what God is saying to Ahaz. This is what God is saying to Isaiah. This is God's prophet. And God is saying, Isaiah, listen, you belong to me, and I, and I know you trust me, but I'm going to show you how I want you to live when a guy like Ahaz is on the throne. You ready for that? Because I think some of you want to, you, you, you're ready for this. This is one chapter later in Isaiah 8, verse 11. Isaiah is talking. I love this. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. Oh, man, I don't have any tattoos, but if I was going to tattoo something, I, I think I'd get that on me somewhere. Do you like that? The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. And, and then look at this. <laughs> don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one who you should fear. I need this so much. God said to Isaiah, stop calling everything a conspiracy. Oh, good morning, America. How are you? You know, <laughs> I don't, I'm not political. But here's the thing. Just, just being honest. You know, if people, when people are Trump supporters, it's like everything is a conspiracy to take down the president. On the other hand, those who hate Trump think that Trump and his people are a conspiracy. And, and you know, God is like saying, hey, stop treating everything like a conspiracy. There's good in the world and there's evil in the world. There's God and there's Satan. Just know which side you're on. Don't call everything a conspiracy. Could I just... <laughs> Could I just remind us all, as much as I, I pray for all of our leadership... 
Uh, could I remind you that your life is not in the hands of the President of the United States? Your life is not in the hands of the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents or the Socialists. Your life is not in the hands of the media. Your life is not in the hands of this culture. If you're a queen that belongs to God, if you're a king that God has bought, your life is in the hands of Almighty God. Stop calling everything a conspiracy. I love verse 13. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He's the one you should fear. And then I love verse 14. He will keep you safe. God is saying to Isaiah, listen, I know you're my, you're my man in a time where you've got a weak king and this king won't listen to me. It may well be true that the leaders of our nation will not listen to God, but you can. It, it may well be that they will not trust the Lord of heaven, but you can trust you're a queen. You're a king. Live like a queen. Live like a king. Be bold. Yes, you're weak. Yes, you have needs in your life, but that's okay. You've been invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. Just remember who you belong to. Well, now back to Ahaz. Isaiah's trying to talk to him. Isaiah's saying, listen, buddy, you don't need to worry about the big dogs, little dogs. Just trust God. And Ahaz, have you, let me ask you a question. Have you ever talked to somebody you could tell they've already made up their minds? You know, you give them all kinds of good counsel and good reasoning, and, and they tell you what you want to hear, you know, but you realize you're like talking to a blank wall. And so Isaiah realizes that. Ahaz has already decided he's going with the king of Assyria. So Isaiah tries. He said, look, verse 11, and by the way, we're about to find, it's interesting, the most famous prophecy in the Bible is given to this king. You ready? Here it is right here. God said to Isaiah, tell him, ask the Lord God uh, for a sign of confirmation. Make it as difficult as you want. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Uh, doesn't that just make you sick at your stomach? I mean, he's like, oh, no, um, I've got... You, you ever hear somebody give you a spiritual reason to do what they want to do? I mean, he's already made up his mind. He's going with the king of Assyria, and Isaiah is pleading with him. Isaiah is saying, look, you don't have to worry about him. God will help you. Just ask for a sign and make it as big as you want it to be. What do you want? You want the sun to stand still? Do you, do you, do you want the sundial to go back? I mean, what is it that you want it to do? Just make it as big as you want. And Ahaz is like, I don't, I don't want to bother God. Then Isaiah said, listen well. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? And Isaiah was basically saying, you're getting on my nerves. Must you also exhaust the patience of God as well? Okay, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah was saying, listen, if you don't want to ask for the sign, let me tell you what God is going to do. Someday a virgin is going to have a baby, and that baby is going to grow up to be king and son of God, and he will be known as Emmanuel, which is God with us. So basically Isaiah is saying, you know, God's finished here with you, but he's not finished working. Well, for the next few moments, I just want to talk to you about the king who wouldn't act like a king. Spoiler alert, he died at 36, and I find this really interesting. When he died, they didn't bury him with the other kings. They let him be buried in a cemetery, but they wouldn't bury him with the kings. Why? Because he was a king that didn't act like a king. And even the people said, he doesn't belong with the other kings. Now, there were three problems, and by the way, this is where it just gets so 2018 today. There were three problems in the life of the king who didn't act like a king, and those problems 
are in our lives if we are kings and queens who don't act like kings and queens. Now, I'm going to make this real simple because each one of these problems, we're just going to have one word. Here's the first problem. The word copycat. I want you to read this. 2 Kings 16, this is about Ahaz. The Bible says Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord his God. Instead, he, well, next word. Say it loud. Followed the example of the kings of Israel, even sacrificing his own son in the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations. Aren't kings supposed to lead? And yet, here's, here's a copycat. I mean, the northern tribe, Israel, Jonathan talked about them last week, they went into idolatry at the very beginning, and we knew that they worshiped all kinds of gods. And so when Ahaz was a young man and a king, he thought, well, you know what? What they do looks a lot cooler than what we do, so I'm just going to like copy their identity. And then the Bible says he copied their practices to the extent that he burned his son's, actually, uh, the king's version says he burned his son. The chronicle's version says he burned his sons alive in the fire. There were the gods of Canaan, which were basically hollowed out ovens. They were hideous shaped creatures, and their ovens were basically furnaces. And the people would sometimes sacrifice their babies alive, burn them alive in the fire in the hopes that they would have good fortune. Man, this guy, you talk about messed up. He's messed up. But he got messed up because he followed instead of led. He was a copycat. When I look at what he followed, notice he followed the example, and then he followed the practices. Basically what happened was he traded his identity for someone else's identity. He traded what he was supposed to do for what other people were doing. Never trade who you are for someone else's identity. And guys, I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I'm not picking on our culture today, but it just seems apparent to me that the American people, by and large, and maybe people globally, are like trying to figure out what they're supposed to be by copying what someone else is. I mean, for the last, what, 15, 20 years or so, we've had reality shows, which that's got to, reality shows got to be the biggest oxymoron of all time. But, you know, here's the thing. You know, I just, it's sort of like, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm, in, I'm into their world. Well, what are they doing? Or how are they looking? And how are they decorating their house? And what kind of houses are they buying? And, and, and what kind of, you know, I'm going to like try to copy my life after what they're doing. We get on social media and it's like everybody's talking about all the stuff they're doing. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, well, am I supposed to be going to that restaurant? They're going to that restaurant. Am I, am I taking my vacation? That's where they're taking their vacation. It's almost like Americans are walking around saying, I don't know how to dress. Would you tell me how to dress? You know, I don't know how I fixed. I don't know how to fix my hair. I don't know how to. I don't know what to buy. I don't know where to live. Tell me where I should live. Tell me what I should be. My soul. God made you to be you. He didn't make you to be somebody else. He didn't make you to look like somebody else. He made you to look like you do. He didn't make you to have somebody else's traits. He made you to have your traits. You are an individual. When Billy Graham was preaching the funeral of Vance Havner, he made a wonderful statement. He said, everyone pretty much is born an original and dies a copy. And I love what he said about Vance Havner. He said, Vance Havner was born an original. He died an original. When I was working on this talk, I wrote these thoughts. If I have troubles, then let them be mine. I don't want somebody else's troubles. If I have troubles, then God has made those troubles to shape me. 
And if I have somebody else's troubles, they won't shape me into what God meant me to be. If I have crosses to bear, then let those be my crosses. Because the crosses that God puts on me are crosses that God is meant to develop my character. Why should I carry someone else's crosses? That's meant to develop their character. If I carry someone else's crosses, they won't achieve or accomplish what God intends to accomplish in my life. If I was meant to have blessings, then let them be my blessings. Because those are the blessings that God has decided that Mark needs. I don't want somebody else's blessings. If, if, I have, if, I, if God has called me to enjoy opportunities, let them be my opportunities. Because if I exploit the opportunities that God has given me, then I will reach the places and the zenith that God has for me. I don't want to live my life trying to enjoy someone else's opportunities. If God has given me a life to live, then let me live my life. I don't want to live somebody else's life. When I was 21 years old, I graduated from college and went to a a church in Houston. And uh, the pastor that I served, I'll just be honest with you, he was crazy for real. <laughs> I mean, he's a sweet guy in some ways, but he was seriously crazy. And, um, and he was 62 and I was 21, so a lot of difference in our age. But when I got there, he just decided I should take over a lot of things. And by the way, you guys all owe him a huge debt because that's where I learned to pastor. I mean, I preached all the funerals, preached all the weddings, wrote all the educational materials, made all the visits. He would just disappear. I wouldn't even know where he was. Disappear four or five weeks at a time. <laughs> but but he, when, right after I got there, he decided I should do all the weddings. And I'd done a few, but there, in Houston, it was just a really interesting thing. I mean, I could keep you here for an hour, which I won't do, telling you funny stories about things that happened to weddings in Houston. But I remember I was doing a wedding for a really well-to-do family, and they said it would be on their nickel, but they wanted me to rent a tuxedo. And I'd never done that before, so I asked my pastor, I said, hey, did you ever, did you ever rent a tuxedo for a wedding? And I never will forget what he said. He said, no, if I die, I don't want to die in somebody else's britches. That's a good point. I don't want to die in somebody else's britches. Copycat. Here it is right here. Takeaway. Live your life every day like you're opening a present from God. That's it. Live your life every day like you're opening a present from God. Hey, listen, one more time. We saw what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. Are you a sinner? Yeah. Do you, do you have needs? Yeah. Do you have weaknesses in your life? Yeah, that's true. But God has said, come boldly because I bought you to be a king. I bought you to be a queen. Live your life. And then that was the problem with Ahaz. Ahaz was like, he was God's king. He's king of Judah. He's ruling from Jerusalem. He's in the lineage of the Messiah. God made him to be great. And Ahaz is like, I don't know how to live. Oh, look at what they're doing over there. I'm going to do what they're doing. Look at who they are. Well, I guess I need to be like copycat. Second word, superficial. And by the way, you're going to notice there's a progression with all three of these things because when the first one comes, the second one will come superficial. We're in 2 Kings 16 verse 10. King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet with the king of Assyria. Well, by this time, the little dogs have been put aside, and Assyria is now ruling the world. And so um, Ahaz is going up to Damascus to grovel before the king of Assyria, the big dog. So that's where you are right now. Ahaz went to Damascus to meet with the king of Assyria. While he was there, he took special note of the altar. That's the altar to the pagan god. Then he sent a model of the altar to Uriah the priest along with its design in full detail. Then Ahaz removed the old bronze altar, 
from its place in front of the Lord's temple between the entrance and the new altar. And he placed it on the north side of the new altar. He told Uriah the priest, use the new altar. That's telling. You know, the stuff in the Bible is not there by accident. Now, just get this in your mind. I know you read this, but let me just go over it just to make sure we're all on the same page here. Ahaz goes up to Damascus. He sees this altar, the pagan god, and he's thinking, boy, that bronze altar that we have back in Jerusalem to worship Jehovah, boy, it's pretty plain. And look at that. Boy, it's got all this carvings and cool stuff, and it's like up to date, and boy, our altar's old. And man, you know what? I'm just going to send an email to um, the preacher down there in Judah and say, hey, look, here's the schematic. Here's the drawing. I, I want the new altar. So take the altar of Jehovah God and put it over somewhere in a corner and put that altar like they have in Assyria. Put that in the temple of Jehovah God. And he said to the priest, use the new altar. You know what an altar is? From the beginning of time, all the way back to Genesis, an altar is where flawed people and a holy God came together. I mean, the thing of it is, there's always a disconnect, there's always a separation between a perfect God and flawed people. How are flawed people going to come together with a perfect God? I mean, all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis, from the first sin on, there was always an altar. There was always a place where broken people could come and meet with a holy God. And that was always an altar. And in fact, if you want to call it such, the cross of Jesus Christ, in effect, was the ultimate altar where broken people could come together with a holy God. Maybe the altar was plain. It didn't matter. There was a great God on the other end of that worship. This was the altar that the instructions had been given to Moses. This was the altar that David had the vision for. This is the altar that Solomon had dedicated when the temple had been dedicated. This is the altar for where hundreds of years God's people had come to meet him. And yet, Ahaz said, no, the altar needs to change. In effect, here's his message. God had become out of fashion. God needed a facelift. God needed updating. God needed freshening. And so he said, put that old altar back in the musty corner and put the new altar in its place. Listen, guys, I'm telling you, I don't even know where to start here. I really don't know where to start. Because this is what's going on in American Christianity today. Like I said a few moments ago, Christians today, they get, they're, they're informed so much by the world. It's like they go to the pagan world and see how to live, and then they think, okay, how do I marry this culture with the worship of God? And so it's really hard to know. I mean, there's, there's like this modern Christianity that bears no resemblance to the Word of God. You've got people that are living sexually in a way that's totally antithetical, totally opposite to the word of God. And yet when you talk to them, they're just like Ahaz. They have this superficial, well, I don't want to bother God. I worship God, Jehovah. I'm marrying the worship of God to the worship of the culture. Use the new altar. Well, how did God react to that? I mean, was God up in heaven saying, oh my goodness, was he wringing his hands like... Well, you know, times change. And you know, I mean, it's, it's the 21st century and morality, views of morality evolve. So they got the new altar down there. I guess I'm just going to have to apply myself to accepting worship from the new altar. Not on your life. God said you're on your own. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's the one thing I can't have in my life. I can't have God saying you're on your own, Mark. 
Always remember this. The challenge is not for God to meet our test. The challenge is for me to respond to what God says. I talk to people all the time, and their idea is, well, how, how do I, you know, if God is like this, I don't know if I want to worship him. You know what the alternative is? I mean, God is not up in heaven. I mean, God's not trying to get into heaven. He's already there. I'm the one who needs to get into heaven. And thankfully, God has made a way for that. But in any event, he was superficial. And then thirdly, and I'll close with this, he was stubborn. Look at verse 22. Even during this time of trouble, King Ahaz continued to reject the Lord. I never understand that. Why do people double down when they're in trouble? I mean, listen, I've done a lot of stupid stuff in my life. I've gotten off the track many times in my following of Jesus Christ. And, you know, President Reagan used to talk about the people that, you know, he was negotiating with. He said, until they can see the light, they'll feel the heat. And what happens sometimes in my life, God is saying, until Mark can see the light, he's going to feel the heat. But in my life, those moments have had a way of bringing me back to God. I don't understand why people do wrong. They suffer for doing wrong. And even then, they refuse to follow God. Don't understand that. Um, I know I've told you this before, but when my boys were growing up, I used to talk to them about four groups of people in the world. I said, there's group one. Those are the humble and the smart, and they rule the world. When I think about humble and smart, I always think about Paul Clark, who's one of our deacons. He's one of the longest-serving judges in Sedgwick County. Paul's with the Lord now, but he was brilliant. My goodness, one of the most brilliant human beings I've ever met, and yet I never met a more humble man in my life. I remember the guy that I believe was the greatest pastor, at least in the 20th century, in the United States was Adrian Rogers. And uh, I remember the night he invited, he invited me out to, to Memphis to spend time with him, and I, I couldn't sleep the night before. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been, listen, I was much more nervous about meeting Adrian Rogers than I would be about meeting the president. The greatest pastor of our time. Still, I still TV his messages on television. And he was so kind to me. I remember when Mary Alice called me later that day after I'd spent the day with him. She said, what's he like? I said, he's like an overgrown little boy. I had many meetings with Adrian. I never, every meeting I had with him, I always had to end. He's one of the most busy people. He was president of his denomination twice. I mean, here's the thing. I wasn't even part of his denomination, and yet he had all the time in the world for me. Smart and humble people, they rule the world. Then group two is the dumb and the humble. That's where I am. I'm never going to be smart, but I can be humble. Now, here's the thing about the dumb and the humble. They always overperform. Because everybody looks at them and says, well, they're dumb. But boy, they just like overperform all the time. It's because of the humility. God blesses the humble. He resists the proud. Then group three is the smart and the stubborn. These are people that are smart, but they're stubborn, and they always underperform. It's like, why, why, why does she do that? I mean, she's so smart, but she underperforms. And then there's group four, stubborn and stupid. <laughs> and every once in a while, when my boys are growing up, I'd just say, group four. <laughs> of course, I didn't tell them that I learned that from being stubborn and stupid. See, stubborn and stupid is stupid that gets locked in. And that's Ahaz. Well, we'll close with this. What happened to him? In 2 Chronicles 28, 
The king took the various articles from the temple of God, broke them into pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple so that no one could worship there. And he set up altars to pagan gods in every corner of Jerusalem. In this way, he aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. And let me just interpret all that with this one sentence. He eventually dropped the pretense and revealed what he was. Now listen to me. This is one of the biggest problems of being a fake Christian. Because oftentimes there are people who are fake Christians and they talk the talk, but they don't really believe it. Ultimately, they will reveal who they are. And that's what happened to Ahaz. He never was serious about following God, but he pretended to be. And finally, he just chained up the door of the, tab- of the temple and said to the people, worship of Jehovah is finished. He revealed what he was. But then look at this, and I'll close with this. In 2 Kings 16, verse 7, King Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria with this message. <laughs> what a weasel. I am your servant and your vassal. Come up and rescue me. I mean, but do but you know what? As silly as that sounds, how many times do we depend on some resource other than God? My money. People liking me. But that's what Ahaz said. He said to the king of Assyria, come up and rescue me. I'm your slave. But look at this. Second Chronicles 28, 16. So when the king of Assyria arrived, he attacked Ahaz instead of helping him. Ahaz took the valuable items from the Lord's temple, the royal palace, from the homes of his officials, and gave them to the king of Assyria's tribute, but it didn't help him. Are you kidding me? All this time he's been kissing up to the king of Assyria. I'm like, I'm your boy, you know, whatever you want me to do, I'll do, and I'll give you all my money, and I'll give you all my friends' money, and give you the gold out of the temple, just come up and rescue me. And when he got there, Ahaz, or the king of Assyria, attacked him instead of helping him. What he traded God for attacked him. This is a great place for us to land. What happens when a king doesn't act like a king? He trusts something else. What happens when a queen doesn't act like a queen? She trusts the wrong thing. Anything you replace God with in your life will ultimately attack you. If you replace God with money, it won't rescue you. It will attack you someday. If you replace God with substances, it will attack you. If you replace God with this fractured, foolish culture, boy, are we watching this, it will attack you. But if, as a king and a queen of God, you walk in boldly to the throne of God and say, my confidence is in you and my trust is in you, then you have a God who will rescue you. You have a God who will lift you up. And you have a God who will let you live out the destiny you were called to live. Thank you for being here. Happy Father's Day.